Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. The first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host, Nick Williams, and this week's show is brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and become a better southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to another week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. Hope everybody's out there staying warm and toasty. Uh, first up on this week's show, we have got Jason Whitehead up on the Tennessee River System. Jason, how you doing today, sir? Good, buddy. How are you? Man, I'm just trying my best to stay warm. I'm down here in my basement office with my little space heater on and uh, just living the dream down here. So how about y'all up there? What's, what was it this morning? This week's been chilly. Where I stand up in, uh, up in Huntsville right now and roads are terrible and hopefully to clear out by the weekend yeah there we go well uh tell me what is it have y'all been catching fish or have y'all been staying home by the fire uh, the last two days we've been staying home by the fire uh last week was actually a really good week uh for both crappie and bass um, we had some rain come through dirtied up the water a little bit and it was kind of intimidating conditions with the water getting a little dirty and and the fluctuation up and down but we still caught some fish we had a good time what was your general strategy for them fish that you caught? So what we had to do, um, we had been fishing deep uh, around some of the bridges and chasing bait fish and that type of stuff. And, man, when that current gets up 80, 90, 100,000 cubic feet a second, we had to shift gears a little bit. I mean, it was just too much current for those fish to stay out there. So what we did was we ended up going back in the bays, back in the creeks a pretty good way, still stayed relatively close to that 10 to 12 foot of water. But we caught a lot of fish on the edge of the grass. And I think that some of those fish kind of hooked up in the grass and to those edges, kind of using it as, as insulation, basically. Uh, we had a big temperature drop in the water, went from 48, 49 degrees down to 41 and 42. So it was a big change. We just had to stay adjusting with the, with the fish. But that uh, grass line, six to eight foot next to that deeper water, that was the ticket last week. Any particular bait y'all were catching them on? Uh, most everything we caught was on a jerk bait. We did catch a few on an A-rig, but we were able to take that jerk bait and live scope, kind of pan over to the edge of the grass. The key was you had to get parallel with the grass. Like if you just threw it up on the grass and brought it off, they wouldn't eat it. But if you could get that cast going right down the side of the grass on, you would actually see the fish come out of the grass. And we were able to let that jerk bait soak a little bit longer with lighter twitches and then it you know the fish would end up committing to it and come out and eat it sure so basically just just slowing down to match kind of cold weather lethargic fish when did y'all go was were y'all fishing kind of in the afternoon once it had a chance to warm up a little bit or were y'all catching them earlier in the morning i had one day last week where i ran double trips um the rest of the time we ran from eight o'clock to two o'clock so right in that middle of the day time period well, that's, that's good that you got on them. I know there's a, down here, there's not a lot of guys. It's just your real hardcore guys that you see out there right now fishing bundled up in their deer coveralls. And you were telling me uh, earlier before we started recording, you were saying that there's a couple of bass tournaments coming up. Yeah, we got the uh, BFL coming up in February, the Toyota Series coming up the second week of February. I think they're kind of back to back. 
Um, so I know there's been quite a few guys out doing some scouting, looking, practice sessions, just kind of checking out the conditions, which are definitely going to change with this cold. And the water being dirty definitely hurts the lake for a lot of those guys that are planning on fishing offshore. Sure. What does it look like? Because I've never really done it before. I know every year, you know, you kind of have a little bit of downtime in the winter for most people. Um, and then you kind of, you know, every spring you start getting your stuff out and uh, kind of switching. For me, I switch over from hunting mode back into fishing mode, kind of clean up, organize the gear closet and wash the blood and duck feathers out of the boat and, and start, you know, packing it up and getting it ready. But especially for, for tournaments, like what is your, what's your pre-grain routine look like? Like, are, are you sitting there preparing for your tournament? Do you, uh, you know, like, are you looking at bathymetric maps? Are you looking at aerial photos, looking at stuff? Are you, are you getting your gear ready, your boat ready? Kind of what do you do kind of on a, on a down day, a rainy day or a cold day to get ready to go fish? Uh, a little bit of everything. I'll watch some videos, much like a lot of other guys do, and jump on YouTube and play around there at some of the new baits that are coming out and um, just kind of get some get some ideas together. I, I keep a notebook, so I'll go back and kind of look at conditions and based off of last year and what we call, where we called them, how many we call it, the size. I mean, one thing with the wintertime and pre-spawn, like if you go out there and you're willing to braid the conditions now, if you catch some fish, they're going to be solid. I mean, they're, they're fishing Gunnersville now. But if you get to three and a half pounder, it could potentially weigh five pounds. I mean, they're just big, fat, healthy fish. But as far as getting ready for springtime, there's days where, you know, I'm very particular about my line um, and rods, making sure I don't have any any eyes messed up on some rods I may not have used since last year. There may be line that I know I need to swap out. And what I'll do is I'll just, you know, turn on YouTube, turn on somebody's channel. There's quite a few guys that are, around the Gunnersville area that share a lot of good tips and stuff. Um, I watch theirs and just kind of sit back and check all my rods, check my line, go through some hooks and stuff. Um, a lot of rattle traps are jerk baits right now. I mean, we go to a little lighter wire hook, but I may wait some of them and just kind of tinker around with some tackle and, you know, just have fun with it. Sure. Is, is there anybody in particular that, that you find yourself uh, watching regularly? Uh, anybody you want to name specifically got a good youtube channel up there for that area yeah around around town um andrew norby's probably got the best one he does a lot with with crappie and bass and he gets pretty technical on some of it but he's just a all-around good guy and a good a good channel to actually watch and then uh milliken i mean milliken does a lot year-round um he's starting to grow and he's uh him and him and my style kind of fit very similar, you know, when it comes to big glide baits and swim baits, a rigs, forward facing sonar. I mean, a lot of those you can learn a lot from those two guys. What about scouting new areas? Are you at the point like like I know you know you've been doing this for a long time, but you say you're still watching, you know, learning new things, keeping up with the new baits that come out. Do do are you still at the point where you go back through and look at some of the old maps, or do you check out areas that maybe you don't fish that much, or or do you look back at areas that you're familiar with and you know kind of kind of stay familiar with them? What's your what's your strategy as far as looking at maps? Gunnersville in particular, um, it's going to change from year to year because the grass changes. There's areas last year that had no grass on them. This year they did have grass, and that could be eel, eel grass or. Hydrilla, millfoil, you know, that grass and, and some of the sandbars and stuff shift around. The biggest thing with this time of year is keeping up with the actual conditions. There could be one or two days where we go out in the lake 
two foot low, we get some rain, the water comes up, the water gets dirty, and it's actually got three times the amount of flow that it did. So you can pretty much bank where you caught fish three days ago, you're not going to be able to catch them again. Um, so I really, really pay attention. So like pre-gaming for a tournament, um, like I'll be, I'll be fishing the Toyota series this year on Gunnersville, but looking at everything going up to that date, putting as many variables as you can on your side, whether it be current, lake levels, water clarity, you know, you just kind of go with the flow type thing, but keeping up with those and making the notes, which is why I keep a notebook, you know, if, if. I'll go back and look at notes from two or three years ago, and I may have a similar day. It may not be the exact week, but it may be a day that I'll look through the notes and, hey, we got an inch and a half of rain and the water's up a foot and a half. What are, where are we going? What do we do that day? So I strongly suggest, you know, all the guys listening to start making some type of notebook, put in all your conditions whenever you get to the lake or whenever you get home, put in all your conditions. It definitely helps to be able to go back and look at some of those places. So the day or two before I plan on going, like this weekend, as long as we uh, we get thawed out, I mean, I'll be back on the water by the weekend. So the next two days, I'll spend some time looking back at those notes, um, checking some things, also looking at those conditions. I mean, TVA has got an app, so you can check water level, current flows, stuff like that, and kind of have a, have a pre-game idea of what to do and where to start before you get to the water and then you can adjust and make those adjustments quicker on the fly. That's something that I hear a lot, whether it's anglers or hunters is, is keeping that notebook where you can go back and, and look at what you were doing this time last year and the year before and kind of see, see how those trends were. And I've always, every year I say, I'm going to do it. And, uh, it's hard to do. Do you have any, any particular tips? Do you keep yours in like a physical journal? Do you have a, a online app or a spreadsheet that you use? No, I just have a journal, a little spiral notebook I keep up with. I got a calendar that I keep all my my guide trips and all my trips that I do. And uh, I just, whenever I'm filling it out per the day or booking trips, I'll take it. And then I'll also keep up with my journal and write in all the conditions and stuff whenever I get home that evening. But for me, I mean, I, <laughs> I'd lose a post-it note if it wasn't attached to my forehead someday. So <laughs> being able to make uh make that journals and stuff and then it, just spend as much time on the water is is what i do and the other guides around gunnersville do i mean it's hard to just remember you know hey i ran almost 300 guide trips last year but what did we do last january or february you know they start kind of rolling together so keeping that notebook and it definitely helps out for sure i can imagine Tell, talk to me a little bit. I know you were talking about some of the, the maintenance that you did on your rod and reels. Um, what about as far as like tackle organization? Like I know that's that's always something I struggle with. Like you talked about could lose a post-it note. It seems like every year I get through winter, I don't fish that much. And then I get ready to go fishing first thing this year. And, and I end up thinking, well, I know that I ended the year with this jig head or these jigs or, or these crankbaits. Like I know I had them and they're here somewhere but i always end up you know going out and buying that new pack and then finding them you know about two months into the season it seems or you find some stuff and and you've done let it set out you know you got a tackle box that maybe stayed in the bottom of your boat somewhere under a seat or something and now you got rusty tackle uh what do you kind of do do you have any any type routine to kind of go through and clean up your tackle and reorganize it yeah i do i i keep everything separated in boxes um, I'm pretty meticulous when it comes to tackle. So there are certain colors that I just know that I'm not going to throw and certain baits that I know that I'm not going to use. 
in you know winter time and and pre-spawn like you know big deep diving crankbaits 8xds 10xds um hair jigs big spoons that type of stuff i mean i'm not going to use that so it just comes out of my boat completely so i have a whole storage almost like a shelving and i got everything labeled the different uh different colors different styles everything's kind of put put in order so what i'll do is i'll take those six eight ten xds out in the fall and i'll take those out and i'll start adding in chad wraps different color lipless baits my jerk baits there's other type stuff depending on the time of year and everybody's got their favorite bait or favorite you know colors and stuff leave those in the boat i'm not saying take those out you know whatever you got confidence in leave those in there but dialing back that tackle to about half of what you normally would otherwise you got a full boat and if the boat's all the way full and you got baits in there that you're not going to use till summer there's no sense in leaving them in there that's where you start getting that little rust and corrosion and and you kind of lose <laughs> you can't keep up with everything you know i know i bought this pack of swim baits so where did i put it you know just take yourself a box get you some bags i use ziploc bags you know just gallon ziploc bags i'll put everything in there i label them and then they go on a shelf and kind of keep up with everything keep it in its order as, as quickly as possible and then if you go out one weekend and you catch them really good on jerk baits you got another jerk bait box at home you know take it with you next time sure yes there's something i definitely got to get better about because uh it it was one thing trying to keep everything organized back before i had a kid now that i got a kid like my my brain power is at all-time low and uh i was looking the other day thinking about setting some limb lines down here and uh after about 20 minutes of looking for my limb line tackle box i give up on it so i got to do better in the future I always appreciate having you on the show. I always enjoy your insights. I think that'll be useful for folks who are kind of getting ready for, for the spawn, pre-spawn. If people are looking, you know, trying to trying to think ahead uh, and they want to book a trip with you, where's a good place to reach out to you? Uh, they can search me. It's Alabama Elite Fishing Guide um, online. So they can give me a call directly. My phone number is 256-530-3306. We'll start. Springtime's filling up pretty quick. I think February's half full. March is already half full, and I got quite a few bookings for uh, for May already. So if they're wanting to get out on on Gunnersville or some of the northern lakes, go ahead and reach out to me, and we'll get that spring trip planned. There we go, guys. Definitely, y'all be sure to check out Jason. And Jason, I always appreciate having you on the show. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Bucks Island. Bucks Island is a family-owned and operated business since 1948. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They love trade-ins for boats and motors. They can rig your boat or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory-trained and certified technicians. Visit them at 4500 Highway 77, Southside, Alabama, 35907 zip code, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. Alrighty, guys, we are back. This time we have got Clayton Batts over on Lake Eufaula in the Chattahoochee River system. Clayton, how you doing today, sir? Pretty good. Down here at Northwater Sonar, getting all my boat rigged and ready and ready to roll next year. Well, that uh, that ties in perfectly then to uh, what we were just talking about with Jason Whitehead up on Lake Gunnersville, talking about kind of kind of the prep work, what goes on behind the scenes when uh, when you guys ain't fishing. Tell me first though, before we go, have you been uh, have you been catching any fish in this cold weather? 
Yeah, I actually had a trip last week, and like I try to tell everybody on Lake Upala this time of year, it's not many bites, but the bites you get, you got a chance to catch a big bag. Uh, the other day, we I, we didn't have that many bites, but I had, you know, one over six and some other good three-and-a-half-pounders to go with it. Yeah, I was I was just looking at the picture that you sent me yesterday, and them's, uh, them's some pretty big bass that guy's holding up. He looks pretty happy about it. Yeah. He, he looks chilly, but he looks happy. <laughs> yeah, it's real cold. I think it's supposed to be seven degrees down here tomorrow. Oh, but gosh. It's one of those deals. I mean, you, you talk to me a bunch of summertime. We're out there fishing schools and – you know, we're having those 50 fish days, but this time of year, it's just, it's a grind out there. It's six to eight bites a day. On a good day, you have 10 to 12, but you have a chance of catching some real big, healthy fish. That's definitely what I'm seeing in your pictures there, and Jason said the same thing. That's that's most people that I talk to say in the winter, it, it's not a, a quantity bite, but it's definitely a quality bite. So what, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what what have you been doing to get on those fish? We just recently, last week, we had all that rain come down. And when that rain came down, that mud line is steadily going down the lake. Um, it's down probably three-quarters of the way down the lake as of Saturday. And I'm looking for it. It's possibly already all the way down there now. And that eliminates that deep bite. But before that got here, you could go out there and catch them in the standing timber in 25 to 30 feet, uh, scoping on low-ranch grass. and just finding you know, two to four fish in a tree was a good tree. And you just had to kind of meander around it. You found those. Now that bite with this muddy water, it's dwindling. Uh, your best bite now is going to be, I hate saying it, but up on the bank. Um, swimming a jig, throwing a spinnerbait, chatterbait, just power fishing on the bank. For sure. Yeah, that, that, that mud was was the issue Jason was talking about, too, up in his neck of the wood. He said he was finding some uh, up fairly shallow on some of the weed lines with, with the, the water clarity dropping. So it's uh, what I tell people, you'd think there'd be really big differences throughout the state as big as Alabama is. But, uh, you know, a lot of it is all kind of the water systems tie together, the geographic regions tie together, and the weather, you know, is pretty, pretty steady throughout the state, you know, just as far as your general trends. So it's really... Uh, Guys who are listening into it, just remember, like, we don't, there's so many different watersheds in Alabama, we may not always cover the watershed that you're fishing that particular weekend, but you can still get a general idea of what's going on based on, you know, the, the next river system over. And, and a lot of the stuff that these guys talk about, I can tell you, I'm all the way down in the southern part of the state, uh, all the way at the tippy top or tippy bottom down in the bay, and, and I'm looking, we've got the same thing, you know, we got mud washing through the timber, we got cold water temperatures, so a lot of those general patterns hold. Clayton, you, you mentioned that you was at North Florida Sonar. What uh what are they doing for you today? We're getting uh new Lowrance pros put on, um, some new battery USA batteries put in, some lithiums. Just getting everything ready to roll for next year. There we go. Well that that's what we were talking about with Jason, just kind of getting ready for next year, getting ready for the 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 spawn, pre-spawn, getting ready for tournaments. Um what what do you usually do? Like obviously you're sitting there. It sounds like you're getting a, a pretty good system overhaul there. Getting new batteries, getting new graphs. Is there anything that you do if you're not getting a new system put in? Is is there something that you go uh, to those guys just to to kind of get them to check out a system, tune it up, make sure everything's in good order, check your wiring? Like what what do you what's your kind of your checklist that you run through with your boat uh, every year? Yeah. Well, one thing, pretty much when you bring it down here and you leave, you're ready to go. You really don't have to mess with too much with their wiring harness and everything. So I know my wiring's all good. 
main thing I like to do is just kind of like I'll go through and make sure everything's tight from last year. I'm running this. This is the same boat I ran last year. I normally sell them every year, but I'm running this one two years. So I'm just going to go through and make sure everything's tight back there on the motor, make sure all my batteries are tight. And I'll do like an inventory on all my tackle and line and everything when it gets cold like this. That way I can go to tackle warehouse or wherever I need to go and order new stuff just to kind of replace stuff I used throughout the year last year. Is there anything that you always, uh, I, I find stuff like that interesting, like, like doing inventory. Cause you kind of see what you go through the most is, is there something that you, that you notice year after year that you always go through the most? It's, it seems to always be my confidence base. I love, uh, fishing offshore. So I have to reorder a bunch of big plugs, drop shot stuff. And then pretty much when I'm shallow, I love swimming a jig and flipping. So I have to go through and look at all my swim jigs, every, all my flipping baits, make sure I'm up stock. Because I really, I hate ordering throughout the year. So I order enough normally in January to last me about all year. That that makes a lot of sense. I'm I'm kind of that way. Like I generally try to buy all my tackle in bulk at the start of the year because the stuff that I go through regularly, you know, one, if you do that, if you go and you buy a hundred pack of baits, right, per bait, it's cheaper. And then if you're buying the little Correct. kid, 12, 25 count packs. So that definitely, uh, definitely makes sense on things that, you know, you go through a lot of like hooks. Uh, since I started fishing with my wife, slip corks is a big one. Like I found out if you're sitting there and you're buying crappie slip corks and you're buying a two pack of them versus if you go and you find somebody who'll sell you a hundred, that's substantially cheaper. So. Actually, and I try to uh, buy in bulk, like you just said. I mean, even line, I mean, I, I try to buy a thousand, two thousand yard spools instead of you know, the smaller ones. Do you find that at a certain point there's a diminishing return with buying like your line in bulk? Like, this, have you ever noticed that stuff go bad? I've always been curious. No, because all my spare stuff I keep in my house in my closet. Now, I don't try to keep fluorocarbon out in the truck all year long. If I know I'm not going to use it, I have it all in a box and I'll move it inside my house. And even when it's in my truck, I try to put it in a cooler or somewhere that's going to be dry and the sun can't get to it or, you know, I just say definitely with line and stuff, you got to be careful not to leave it out like that. Do you store the bulk of your tackle inside where it's climate controlled, or do you store some out in the boat in the garage, or how do you handle that? I have a little shed in my backyard that I keep a bunch of stuff in, and that's where the bulk of all my stuff is. And it's, You don't have a heater or anything in there, but it's insulated real good, so it's not like you're leaving it straight out. Sure. That's just something I've found out over the years is like I'll, I'll store – you know, I got a I got a small house and and I store stuff outside. But what I've found is like particularly soft plastics and terminal tackle, like your hooks and everything, they last indefinitely. It seems if I keep them up in my closet. But if you sit there and you get them in a tackle box outside, uh, in a shed or under a back porch or garage or something like that, it seems like they definitely go bad a lot quicker. So. Tell me a little bit, what do you do, like, if, you, if you've if you got a down day, like, if, if you're sitting there right now, like, you, you're kind of sitting there getting some work done on your boat. Uh, Jason mentioned that he had some YouTube channels that he liked to watch just to kind of stay up to date on current trends. Is there, do you do anything similar? Yes, I mean, I'll look at where previous tournaments have fished and kind of watch some of those videos. Um, I'm real big into Google Earth. And so I play a lot on Google or when I'm just sitting around looking either on my phone or either um, on the computer, just kind of getting familiar with bodies of water that I haven't been to, or maybe it's been a while since I've been there. For sure. He was talking about, and I've noticed the same thing down here, duck hunting, like we duck hunt and we look for rice, especially during teal season. 
and the rice will change year after year. Jason was mentioning that the grass changes year after year. Um, have you ever, like, usually you can, can pay to get access on a lot of these, uh, like Google earth or some of the different mapping softwares you can pay to get like the, uh, the recent pictures, like they usually do like monthly or quarterly flyovers for a lot of areas. So you can kind of see, you know, instead of like Google earth data may be a couple of years old, you can pay to get imagery from this month. Have you, do you ever look at stuff like that to try to pinpoint where you've got vegetation in the lake or anything like that? Yes. On grass lakes, I do, especially, um, hunt stand is the one that I use. It's a, it's a hunting app that I use around the house and they always have monthly maps. So they up the, uh, upload right. and it's real good. Like I use that exclusively when we went to Okeechobee last year. Really? Yeah. I've, uh, I, I use it. It's huge down here. If you're hunting any land that's, that's got timber management, which is most property that I hunt is timber management. You can sit there and at a glance, see if they've, uh, if they've cut something this year. Cause I've showed up, I remember one year I showed up to Barber County WMA to go hunt and I was looking at, at last year's imagery, and I showed up thinking that I was going to hunt this. Uh, I, I thought I was going to hunt timber, and it ended up I drove out there, and, and I was hunting about 500 acres of clear cut, uh, fresh clear cut, <laughs> like bare dirt clear cut, where last year I had been hunting piney woods. And uh, definitely after that, I paid for, for the premium and started paying more attention to that monthly map. And I've noticed it helps, too, up here just to see kind of which areas are silting in and which areas are getting vegetation and stuff like that. Anybody in particular that you watch, if you if you do watch a YouTube video? No, I just kind of, to be honest with you, I just kind of click through and I'll watch a little bit and just kind of see what interests me and then keep rolling. I don't really follow one particular person or one channel or anything like that. Sure, sure. What about, uh, I've talked with a lot of guys in the past, Jason's one of them, and I, I've never had the discipline to do it, uh, but I know a lot of guys keep track uh, of a journal some kind of which way, whether they do a spreadsheet or just a spiral-bound notebook. Do you journal your stuff and go through it on down days and see kind of what trends have been in the past? I do on, uh, you follow some. As far as the other lakes, not so much, just because... I normally fish them one time a year when we're traveling Sure. and the variables are so different each time I go there that it, to me, I'm not saying some other people, to me, it don't have that big of an influence. Like we're going to Rayburn. Uh, my first tournament's at Rayburn. Last time I went out there, it was at normal pool. The time I went out there before it was 14 feet high. And now when I'm going back out there, it's like three feet low. So none of the information really would correlate good. Right. I can I can definitely see that if you're the the less frequently you fish an area, like that's part of the reason I've never kept a fishing journal is I don't I don't fish consistently enough to do it. Like I've played with a hunting journal because like uh I've had duck seasons where I was hunting almost every day of duck season. So you kinda of build some good data that way, um, if you do that year after year. But I think I think the value of journaling definitely increases the more you fish a given area. I think you could probably start to pick pick apart the area a little bit better that way. Is, is there anything else? I know we've talked a little bit about boats and electronics. We've talked a little bit about uh, kind of just updating your knowledge base, scouting, tackle organization. Uh, is there anything else that you'd advise people to, to kind of do if they're going to sit out this weekend fishing with the, the cold weather, if they're going to sit around the house and kind of pitter around a little bit and kind of organize stuff? Is there anything else you'd encourage them to take a minute to look at? That hunt stand app that I mentioned, that's one that a bunch of people do not utilize or know. And I would highly recommend somebody taking a minute to look at it compared to Google Earth. 
Yeah, it's definitely, I, I use it and I'll, I'll tell you about another one that I like, uh, that, that I think has a little bit sharper monthly data is a uh, Spartan forge. Uh, check them out if you get a chance. They, they have what they call a UAV view that you can click on. And I've, right. I have found it to be very good. Um, hunt stand is good too. I've been, I've been using hunt stand now for, I guess, 12 years. So uh, I'm, I'm definitely a big fan. So That's just one that a bunch of people, like you said, you use it hunting, but a bunch of people don't think about using it fishing and it's a very valuable tool. For sure. It'll, uh, it'll tell you down here. I know like if you look and you go back and you compare winter imagery to fall energy, it does a really good job of capturing what everything looks like down here once you've got some flood and some current because it's a very very different uh body of water down here where i'm at in the spring versus uh, or in the winter versus in the summer it, it, I'll, I'll compare it to google earth like you said i'll go back and find a google earth picture where it was really low then i'll compare the new one to that google earth yeah some, something that you can see too if you go back if you got enough historic imagery you can kind of see which areas are silting in or new channels that are forming I've found that to be useful myself. But um, Clayton, I always appreciate having you on the show. Folks want to look at booking a trip with you. Where's a good place to get a hold of you? Look me up on Facebook at Lake Ufala Fishing Guy Clayton Bats or give me a call, 334-310-8338. There we go. You guys go check them out. And Clayton, uh, you have a good rest of your day, sir. You too. I appreciate it. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Hilton's. The days of heading out and blindly looking for good fishing areas are pretty much over. Don't waste time and money on fuel searching for fish. You need the recent highest resolution images to not only know where to go, but where not to go. The knowledge provided by today's technology is critical when planning an offshore fishing trip. Make the choice that professional captains all over the Gulf make and choose Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. The easy-to-use interface and excellent customer service will have you on the fish every time you go. Check it out at hiltonsoffshore.com. Also brought to you by the East Tennessee Fishing Show and Expo is back this year, January 25th through the 28th at the Knoxville Expo Center on Clinton Highway. The East Tennessee Fishing Show is the largest fishing show in the South, and this year will be featuring more dealers, more vendors, and more exhibits than ever before, all under one roof. Whether you fish for bass, crappie, trout, or walleye, if you fish, you won't want to miss the latest fishing gear, equipment, and apparel. Come check out Custom Tackle, Lures, Rods, Reels, Electronics, and Guides, January 25th through the 28th. Tickets are only $12 for adults and $8 for kids 6 and above. Kids 5 and younger can attend for free. Tickets are available online or at the door, and the parking is also free. Learn more at EastTennesseeFishingShow.com. All righty, guys, we're back, and this time we got Stephen Rockarts over on the Cahaba River. Stephen, how you doing today, sir? Man, I'm doing pretty good, just kind of uh, sitting back and then trying to stay warm it's pretty cold out there i was gonna say man i went deer hunting this morning and it was uh 15 degrees and everything was was going smooth until i realized that the uh foot warmer insoles the little hot hands insoles that i'd put in the bottom of my boots they're about 10 years old and they were dead as a hammer <laughs> it was a little rough i won't lie everything else was fine but uh i, I looked down at my poor little feet and, and my pants i had to cross the swamp and and the bottom eight inches of my pants was literally frozen to my rubber boots so it was pretty Golly. I'm, I'm still warming my feet up i need if i had a fireplace i'd have my feet up by the fire right now that's a good feeling i understand that that's gonna be a good 24 hour uh thaw out <laughs> it, yeah yeah it, it takes a little while once you get cold and wet 
how how's the Cahaba River looking? I mean, is it like iced over at this point? Like, are y'all are y'all able to drive? Do we need to send milk, eggs, and bread? Like, <laughs> I mean, I won't turn down free groceries, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not that bad. It's pretty cold. It's you know, I'm I'm about granted I fish the Cahaba mostly, um, but I'm about uh, an hour west of there, and uh, man, it was about it was 11 degrees this morning around Tuscaloosa and Tuscaloosa County. It was it was it was pretty chilly. So we, uh, and I'm going to be honest, I'm just getting in my car as fast as I can and, and in the house as fast as I can, almost like if it's raining. <laughs> that, that's it. I can, uh, did y'all get any, we got some slush yesterday. We got just a little bit of, I don't, I don't think even the most optimistic of us down here could, could have it in our hearts to call it snow, but I seen some folks up further North into the West got some. Did y'all get a little dusting yesterday? We did. Um, we got it yesterday morning when they, um, they kind of weren't expecting it as much, um, but it wasn't. It wasn't too bad. It was. It was just enough to almost have fun, but it still got the kids really excited, and they were running around all frazzled, early morning hair, screaming, "We got snow! Look at the snow!" You know, just it was. It was just fun. It was just. It was. It was joyful, um, but with without the consequences of the roads freezing over. That's it. No, that's that's best way to do it. We was hoping to get a little bit more. We did bring my wife. Brought in just a little handful of. Uh, slush for my daughter to inspect she's only seven months old but uh she she got to try to figure out what what that stuff was that her mama brought her in a bowl so that was uh she got she got her first exposure to it a little bit earlier than i did right i bet she loved that oh yeah no for for sure no she uh she's she's curious man new things is crazy like she's done it's like you hit a switch in her about i'd say a month ago and and you can just tell she's just learning 24 7 so it's a fun time oh it's awesome that's awesome. Phone's fun starting, man. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, well, talk to me a little bit about uh about what's going on up there on Cahaba. Are we still the the name of the game today seems to be people talking about how you know this time of the year you're not necessarily you don't have a quantity bite, but you're catching big fish. Is that what y'all been finding up there? Yeah, it's been a little slow. I fished some of the upper tributaries with a couple couple fellas here recently, and you know we've gotten some pretty decent bites, but haven't really been able to. They've been kind of been a little slow to bite, but um, yeah, it's few and far between right now. You got to fish slow. You got to fish low. You got to hit your pocket water. I'm assuming once this cold snap is over and once we start getting a few more days of rain and everything kind of equalizes and the fish get a little bit more acclimated to it, I think the bite's going to start picking up towards the end of January, which will be pretty good. You know, our river, we're kind of at the mercy of rainfall. There's no dam generating any water. There's nothing like that. So, the fish tend to have um, true seasons or uh, temper. They have a true temperament, you know, uh, and depending on what they're getting, that's how they're going to respond. They're not, uh, I guess, um, conditioned to steady flow or anything like that. So they tend to reserve their energy unless they have to use it, which is makes it all more the fun because when that water level is perfect, they just, you'll catch, man, you'll catch so many more fish. But yeah, slow and low right now fishing's going pretty good um been kind of just getting ready for the spring we're um we're, we're really booking up pretty quick and um about to announce all of our dates for everybody that already pre-booked for fishing trips and we uh just kind of getting all the gear ready making sure you replace all your fly lines at least the ones that have enough wear and tear on them make sure you restock all your flies i like to do everything kind of a year in advance um, so if I, if I know any fly tires that are, they're tying stuff and selling stuff and it looks like it's a pattern I'd, I'd prefer, I'd go and pick up anywhere between eight to 20 of them and just put them in the box and, uh, I'll use them all year. I tend to not leave flies in trees. 
That well, you're doing better than me because I, I think I've left quite a fair few of them up in trees here in this past year. So I was when you when you said you was picking <laughs> up eight to twenty to use all year, I was just like, oh man, that must be nice. So <laughs> yeah, well, I, I pay pretty good money for them. So when I'm man, I, I hate losing a, leaving a five dollar bill in a tree, and and I usually uh, I usually I'll spend the extra time. I'll spend five minutes trying to get a fly out if I can. If I'm waiting, it's a lot harder. But from a boat, you can get right underneath it. You can push a stick up. You can you can break a branch off or whatever. So yeah, I try to keep them all, and then uh, <clears throat> I'll usually retire them from year to year. I still have one popper that's lasted three years now, and it has it's this. I mean, it's my lucky popper now. I've had to sharpen it so many times, I wouldn't even call it sharp anymore. And it uh, it's landed some just, I mean, at least a dozen just absolute tanks. So it's uh, it's my lucky popper. But uh, I had to replace the legs on it, and <laughs> some of the some of the uh, some of the hackle on it. And, but yeah, this time of year is just kind of getting prepped and ready for the prepped and ready for the spring, prepped and ready for the bite, making sure all your rods are in working order, making sure all your reels are cleaned up, ready to go, making sure your line's not gonna not gonna foul on you, it's not twisted up too much, and then make sure you just get everything prepped and ready to go, and then uh, you hit the ground running come March. Talk to me a little bit. So I've I've uh started fly fishing and started off with just a cheap cheap line that come on the combo that i brought and then uh, I, I followed some advice and i feel like folks steered me straight and everybody said you know get get a rod get a reel and and don't upgrade the rod or the reel like get any old rod or reel and what you really want is good line so that was the first thing that i upgraded is i bought instead of some uh instead of the the free fly line i, I ponied up and i bought you know about a i think it was about a hundred dollar fly line uh which i know is not you know the most expensive one that they make, but definitely more than I'd ever paid for a uh, fishing line here in my life. So I'm um, I'm very curious. Fishing line I've always treated like a disposable, just something that you buy more of every year. But but with a hundred dollars sitting there on the reel, tell me more about what you do. Like you were talking about cleaning them, taking care of them, knowing when it's time to retire one. That's all completely new to me. Yeah. So um, my fly line it gets abused. We'll say that. So I mean I've got probably 50 plus different people using these rods throughout the course of a six month period right uh, sometimes three to four months right so my my line gets destroyed i mean from pulling flies out of trees from stretching it to its max capacity to having it retract back into its normal position to uh, whippy type casts that just kind of pop the line aggressively back and forth to to throw in big flies that there's load the line a lot differently um i tend to clean my fly line you know every week or two or at least between trips i'll just wipe it down real quick uh, maybe just uh i usually kind of keep it especially if i'm going between one tributary to another tributary i make sure it's clean i use just warm warm water with a little bit of dawn soap but um if you if you spend a hundred dollars on some good fly line and you're the only person fishing it um, I mean, I think it should last you at least one to three years, um, as long as you're taking care of it, you're cleaning it, and they have different types of uh, things you can buy, little kits um, to kind of condition your line. But for me, um, with all the pro deals I have and the companies I, I'm associated with, it's just easier for me just to use some warm Dawn soap, clean the lines off, make sure they're, the line's going through the, the rod appropriately. It's not getting any drag to it. Um, and once that fly line starts to show some aging to it, whether it be cracking or it's twisting up too much, I may, I may feed it all the way out and see if I can get the twist out of it. But if I can't, it's, it's easier for me to drop 
you know, it's a lot, lot cheaper for me, but I can just drop a little bit of money and, and get some new line and that line will do exactly what I need. And I don't have to forfeit, you know, the, the client not being able to cast or having issues with the fly turning on them or, and I don't know if you, which you know, you probably haven't, but sometimes that fly line will snap, especially if it gets overused. And even though it's got that, uh, that braided 30 pound core on the majority of it, um, I snapped a couple fly lines. <laughs> so, um, you just got to be ready to pony up and, and, uh, buy some more line. And I'll usually have a box or two, uh, spare line in my tackle box while I'm fly fishing with clients and stuff like that. That way, um, if something does happen, you don't, you don't want it to, to mess up their day. Yeah, you know, it's your responsibility. So I usually bring an extra couple lines in with me. For sure. Now that's, that's definitely good intel. I, that's something that I'm definitely interested in doing is, is that's a, uh, you know, at a hundred dollars, by the time you you get you get a Benjamin involved in it, I'm kind of interested in making sure that I get all the good out of it that I can possibly get out there. I'm a, like you were talking earlier about flies. It's it's one thing for me to lose a, a fly, you know, particularly if you're just losing a little, you know, parachute atoms or something like that, and then you start losing boogle bugs and and you start feeling a little bit worse about it. But uh, at the at the <laughs> point at the point where if if I was to wear out a fly line in a year and found out I could have kept it for three years, I'd be a little bent with myself. You could buy a bunch of boogle bugs for a hundred dollars. So I'm uh I'm gonna try to protect that investment as best as I can. Talk yeah. to me a little bit about kind of getting ready for spring. I know there's the gear aspect of it, and then talking with some of our other anglers today, there's always you know, looking, looking for new spots, you know, like you, you got your spots, you tried and true spots every year, but then what do you do looking at new water? How, how do you find new places or, or do you, do you pay attention during this time of the year, you know, on a, on a day where it's cold, you don't necessarily want to go fish if you got stuff to do. Do you, do you look for new places on aerial? Do you, you know, spend your days kind of looking like I, I talked with the Jason Whitehead, he mentioned that he kind of organizes tackle and watches some YouTube videos, try to learn some new information about the, the lakes that he fishes. What does your preparation look like getting ready to, to find and fish new spots in the spring? Good question. So what I do is I, I, I start a little bit sooner. So, yes, you always want to try to find some new water. Um, the hardest thing for, for me is finding new water where you can have it um, – uh, you have to find a good stretch that you can float conveniently without too many bumps, meaning too many shoals where the clients have to get in and out of the boats. So the hardest thing is finding the perfect stretch of water that holds good quality fish. Um, and the fishability stays relatively consistent all year. So I do it a little bit differently. Um, I like to fish a waterway for at least a year or say three or four seasons before I take anybody out on it. That's the way I've done it the last several years. So that's the way I think I'm going to continue to do it. So I'll start fishing new areas in the springtime. If I get a day, I'll go out. I usually pick a buddy that's good at fishing. I actually prefer them to fish differently than I do, you know, different techniques, different styles, um, because that's kind of the way that I learn. So I know I've got somebody that can fish well with me. Um, and I like to see how they like to do things. Obviously I have my ways of doing things, but I mean, lots of people can catch lots of different fish and they can fish differently. And I've seen it numbers of times over my life, whether it be conventional or fly fishing. But um, I like to go kind of target a whole body of water and I like to fish it all year round. Now, if you're just going to hone in on one stretch or uh, even if you're just trying to figure out spring fishing a little bit better, what I do is I usually go out in the fall whenever it's real low and clear and I look and I examine the, the bottoms of the creeks 
because you can determine where all your pockets are going to be for winter fishing and spring fishing. You can determine where every ledge is. You can determine where every undercut is, every rock is, every boulder. And you can look at the bank line too, especially on feeder creeks, uh, but not even feeder creeks. Just you look at bank lines and you can see when that water level's up two feet, you can look at the root bodies uh, from the trees and you can see where fish are going to hold in those root bodies. And you'll know where your sandy, um, your sandy low-lying uh, <clears throat> sides of the creek are. They're going to hold your spawning bass come uh, mid-spring, early mid-spring. And then you also know where, um, if they're feeding like crazy pre-spawn, you'll know where all your root, your root clusters are, where they're going to be hiding in, where they're going to be holding to. Um, and you can kind of, you know, in your mind's eye, make these memories, these little notes as to how I'm going to pick it apart and how I'm going to approach it. And I know I'm long-winded, but also the having the other fellow with you that does things differently, that's probably the most important thing. Um, because sometimes they'll try something just a little bit different or they'll, they'll approach something a little bit different and that'll open your eyes up. But, um, yeah, new runs and stuff like that. I'll, I'll fish it three seasons or four, three or four seasons, um, before I actually add it to, uh, the roster of trips where I'll take people. I think that's a, a good piece of insight right there. I know as a, as a pretty avid hunter, I know I, I feel about that way. I feel like I need to spend three or four seasons on a piece of property before I start feeling, like I got a decent grasp on on what deer are doing on that piece of property, and and I can definitely see wanting to to spend the time before you know you take somebody's money and and tie up a day, have them take time off, you know, plan a vacation and drive out there. I I think that's a, I I think there's two things to be learned there. One, uh, you, you run a pretty good guide service, and and then two, I think that sets you know, probably some reasonable expectations for people who are fishing a new body of water. You know, it's not something where you're going to go out there and learn it on two or three trips. You know, you need to be able to to commit some time to it. Kind of, uh, you know, it sounds, sounds like you're getting an undergraduate degree on a body of water before you uh, start fishing it seriously. So Yeah, I mean, if I, if it was just me and friends, it's a different story. But like like you said, if I'm if I'm taking somebody out and they're paying me to, and like, and I I treat my trips a little different. I'm not just taking you fishing. I'm taking you out to have a great day off, which is why I do, uh, me personally, the other two guys do different things. But um, Andy Witten and Peter John Cole do a little bit different things. But me personally, like, man, it's about it's about having the experience. And they're, they're into that too, but I do the lunches and stuff. And, you know, it's about having just a great day off. It's, I mean, fishing's important, but um, overall, if you're, if you're taking time and spending money, you want to just have a blast on the water and enjoy yourself. So that's how I feel about it. So might as well put the research in. It's always I, I, fun studying, especially if you're catching fish. That's it, and I've I've heard from multiple sources uh, that that you cook a pretty fine shore burger. So I'm I'm thinking at the very least, if I don't get up there to fish, I'm gonna get on there and just uh, tag along and and just eat your burger. So, <laughs> well, hey, I'm probably changing the uh, the burger recipe this year a little bit. So, oh uh, goodness, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it. out some new some new beef. <laughs> that's the that's the i'm excited i know i shouldn't be but i'm really excited i'm gonna be trying out a new beef patty and see how people like it so <laughs> I, I like it well if if folks want to uh want to sign up and they want to talk to you a little bit about a trip and maybe trying out some of them uh them new beef patties that are going in that that shore burger where's a good place to reach out to you yeah i appreciate it um they can reach out on instagram which is just flyfishing alabama they can reach out uh, on the web which is www.flyfishingalabama.com my phone number's on there you can text or call leave me a voicemail and i'll call you back um or you can go on facebook it's flyfishing alabama llc send me a message that's probably the least connected platform that i that i'm on it, it takes me a couple of days to get to those the way my phone's set up the way alerts are i just don't get those and um 
So usually the website or Instagram is probably the quickest way to get in touch with me. And, um, yeah, if for some reason I don't have a spot, uh, one of my other two guys uh, do. And, man, we'd just be happy to put anybody on the water and give them a, give them a good day outside. There we go. And you're going to be at the uh, – aren't you going to be at that little Coosa uh, or Gadsden yeah. Fly Expo coming up? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I believe it is um, the venue at Coosa Landing in Gadsden, Alabama. And uh, it's a fly fishing show. I want to say it's fly fishing film tour. Um, it's going to be there too. So there'll be some videos and stuff like that. There'll be a bunch of vendors. Um, there'll be me. Uh, there's also another uh, guide service that should be out there, East Alabama Fly Fishing. Uh, just some incredible, I mean, just incredible group of guys. Great body of water they fish <clears throat> over in East Alabama. But they'll be there. Um, and several other fellows will be there. But yeah, there'll be a lot of people to meet and talk to and uh, lots of good fish conversations. And obviously everybody will have like shirts or hats or little fun things you can buy. But yeah, there it's we, uh, Saturday the twentieth and Sunday the twenty-first. There we go. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna try a knock on wood if I don't catch a big buck on camera that that holds me up. I'm gonna try to make it up there this weekend and uh, meet meet a few of you guys. I don't think we've ever met in person, so I'll I'll be up there wandering around. Anybody listening in wants to say howdy, I'll be up there in a great days outdoors hat, kind of checking everything out and getting a feel for it. And then uh, I may if I can stand it with the cold, I may try to uh, see what what that little uh, trout fishery they got up there at Black Creek's all about. So it should should be a good weekend. Good deal, man. Yeah, well, I hope to see you up there. And if anybody else listening goes on up there, make sure you stop by and tell me, hey, my name's Steven. That's it. Y'all come see us. Everybody listening in, y'all come say howdy to Steven. Uh, check out Drew Morgan. He'll be up there. He's done some segments with us for the uh, the Tallapoosa River. And uh, Steven, look, hopefully look forward to seeing you this weekend, sir. As always, I appreciate your time. Absolutely, brother. Y'all have a good one. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks offer numerous items to help get your project done right the first time. They carry a variety of different panel profiles and your choice of colors and gauges with all the matching trim and accessories. They also offer a full line of hardware items and post-frame building design. Their friendly and knowledgeable sales representatives are always willing to help answer any questions or concerns you may have. Contact them with any questions or to get a free estimate today. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. Well, folks, that wraps up this week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. If you'd like for us to email you the podcast, just text FISHING to 314-665-1767. Again, just text the word FISHING to 314-665-1767. Subscribe to our email list and we'll send you the new show each week. This week's episode of the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report has been brought to you by KillerDock combines durability, function, and design to uniquely upgrade your entire dock experience. Visit KillerDock.com to see more. Also brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. Since 1989, Southeastern Pond Management has been a leader in pond and lake management services. Schedule an obligation-free consultation today. Call one 888-830 888-830-POND or info at scpond.com. Also by LM Marine. LM Marine has something for everyone, from small hunting boats to pontoons to bigger bay and hybrid boats for the hardcore angler. You can visit them at 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama, or give them a call at 251-937-1380. And brought to you by Fish Bites. Whether you're hitting the sand with set rig or fishing the flats and marshes for speckled trout, redfish, and flounder, Fish Bites has something for you. Check out the full line of scented saltwater and freshwater baits at fishbites.com. 